ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Oki Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Oki Podcast. And on today's episode, I'm pretty happy that uh, she wanted to come on us uh, on the uh, Oki Podcast and uh, just have a really, you know, cool conversation. She's from Anadarko. She's Kiowa on Apache. She's a comedian, screenwriter. And I mean, we're just going to dive into everything else that she does. And I'm going to get to know her. And um, if you don't know her, then, you know, you're going to get to know her, too. Uh, my guest today is Adrian Chelapal. Hey, thank you so much, Russell, for having me. Shout out to the Okie Podcast listener. So, Adrian, it's nice to meet you in a virtual Good way. You too. <laughs> um, uh, I can't I can't remember when uh, I first started, like, hearing about your comedy i think i might have been in i lived in new mexico too so i lived in santa fe for a little bit i was in college and uh i can't remember if that's where i first kind of started hearing about you and doing your shows and everything i can't really remember but i mean i'm sure we'll dive into that but um i'm really stoked that you wanted to come on the podcast and uh i think it's really cool that you know you uh gave your time to you know be on here so Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, no worries, man. I am happy to be here and I know how much work it is to do a podcast. So I commend you for doing it. I myself tried to do a podcast with my homie, Deanna Mad. We had it for a little bit. It was called Ethnic Unicorns, but we just could not get organized. So shout out to you for, for do everything you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. I think I appreciate those words. Good words, Adrian. Good words. Aho. Yeah, yeah. Aho, aho. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for the start off sacred. <laughs> the sacred podcast. No, just kidding. Uh <laughs> but um for the listeners, um you, the listeners that don't know you, uh could you Tell a little more about, you know, your backstory, you know, uh, where you grew up. Uh, did you move around a lot? You know, what was it like growing up uh, where you did grow up? So and then we'll just kind of I mean, it will just like flow with this conversation, you know, so. Yeah, my parents were a very noncommittal to one location. So every time they would uh, get into some ruckus. They would leave one town and move to another. And so by the time I was in 10th grade, I had gone to 12 different schools. Yeah. yeah. So I moved around a lot. And I think it's because, well, like I just said, my parents were, were uh, rolling stones or whatever. <laughs> and... <laughs> And, uh, but I think that's actually where the comedy came from too, was always being that new girl and, you know, wanting to not get picked on and not be the new girl and just try to slide in there and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm all right. Like trying to prevent myself from being a target. So I started, you know, trying to be quick and witty and entertaining and that's that's kind of how that started. But I was originally I was born in Flagstaff, Arizona, mm. and uh, 
I have no family from Flagstaff at all. My parents were just like, we like Flagstaff. Let's, let's head there and have babies. And they did. And, and then like, as soon as I was born, they decided, no, we want to go back to Oklahoma. So then they moved back to Oklahoma and, uh, bounced around Carnegie and Anadarko. And then we went back to Flagstaff. So we were doing this whole Oklahoma and Southwest thing for a long time until I was about seven, six or seven. And then we really planted in Oklahoma and stayed put and just stayed there. And, you know, it was a typical Oki childhood, just swimming in creeks and, you know, <laughs> trying to stay out of trouble and uh it was good I I really I feel fortunate for my childhood in the sense that I spent lots of time outside lots of time you know getting to know what it meant to be to be uh I don't really like the word country girl but like just whatever that is where you like to spend times in creeks with turtles and stuff uh -huh. so <laughs> that was my childhood and I also spent some time in Lawton so I did become a gangster for a short time mm. and uh <laughs> as you do as you do when you end up in Lawton you must become a gangster that is mandatory and uh and <laughs> that was a fun little time I'm kidding about the gangster stuff <laughs> actually many many times people made me they they tried to make me pick a set. They were like, what set you claim? And I was like, I don't know. I do not know. And um, and then like it was never gangsters never scared me growing up because they were like, oh, you know, we could jump you into our gang and you become part of us. And I was like, what is the point of that? Like, I have a tribe. That's what tribes are for, right? Like you want. I don't know. It was confusing. I, I to this day I don't get native gangsters. I'm like, what are you doing, uh, and why? But anyway, that's me. And I graduated from Riverside Indian School. Shout out Braves. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I so I went to school there in tenth grade, eleventh grade, and twelfth grade. I graduated from there. That was where I planted the most roots. That's why I claim Anadarko because that's where I spent most of my um really formative years getting to know myself and all that jazz mm -hmm. so yeah that's me riverside huh yeah 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 what was your experience like over there it was um it was good actually because i had so much family that went to school there um that I kind of knew what to expect before I got there. I knew that it was going to be, it was going to be rough in some ways. And then I knew also that it was what I made of it, whatever I made of it. But when I got there, I was really at my last rope, whatever you want to call it for education. I, I had, I had a, been kicked out of public school. I was before that I was going to uh, cash public schools in cash, like right outside of Lawton. 
And I was having a rough time because I would not shut up. And uh, I don't know what your experience is in Oklahoma public schools, but mine was that they didn't tolerate too much brown sassiness, you know? Uh, they weren't trying to hear my take on history. They didn't want to hear my comments. Really, they didn't want to give me a voice. And, um, and I was like a teenage angst kid. Like I was trying to figure it all out. I got really somewhere around eighth grade. I got really angry with society because I was, uh, my stepdad was involved in a, a land dispute, a legal land dispute. And, uh, so I was going home and I was learning about all this injustice at home. And then I was going to school and they were like, you guys are Asians. You came across the Bering Street land bridge. And I was like, no, we didn't. We've been here. And um, so I would argue with my teachers and they didn't like that. So basically that arguing landed me in detention. Then the tension landed me in in-school suspension. And then in-school suspension landed me in expulsion. So they kicked me out of school. And then to go back to school, my mom said, well, you can give her a paddle, you can spank her and she'll go back to school and she'll shut her mouth. And, <laughs> and I went back to school and they went boom and they spanked my ass. I don't know if I can say that, but <laughs> they, Very good. they spanked me. <laughs> It's so embarrassing. Like, I'm not proud of any of this, by the way. It, it is what it is. And um, it, they spanked me and uh, I still didn't shut up. So I was like really definitely a class clown, but I was like in a class clown that was really self-destructive. Like I was just spiraling in ninth grade. And um, so that landed me at Riverside and uh and at Riverside, I had to get in trouble, of course, at first, because I was still spiraling. And I got into a fight uh, because, again, my mouth. It's because, like, if you ask me a question, I will tell you honestly. Like, I'm probably that I am brutally honest. And a brutally honest person gets in trouble a lot. And so you know, this girl asked me a question about my opinion about something. And I told her my opinion and she didn't like it. And then we, we got into it. I didn't want to fight by the way. I am not a fighter. I am a silly goose. So I'm not trying to fight, but mm -hmm. if you punch me in my face, I I'm like, Oh man, I have to fight now. Uh, <laughs> So I will defend myself. Yeah. And um, so I got into a fight and that landed me in a boot camp sort of situation. And the boot camp situation really straightened me out. And then I really started focusing on my education and my goals. And I came out of it and I stopped talking so much crap. Um, I, I started really learning how to use my words for good. And I think that's where the writing came in. I just started writing and writing as much as I could until I figured out who I was.
So just, <laughs> just right out the back, you just got in a fight, huh? Yeah, it was the second day of school. It was the second day. <laughs> yeah, it was the second day of school. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but it's like, you know, I think I just look, I have a very punchable face. It's uh, <laughs> Some people have very punchable faces. And yeah. that's mine. So, but, but I also will defend myself. Like if I get punched in the face, I will punch you back in my only advantage. Cause I'm not very fast. Like you can ask the witnesses of this fight. It was the slowest, most hilarious fight you will ever. Like, it was so hilarious to them because we were like, literally like boxing, like in a professional type of way where we were exchanging blows. Like, uh -huh. you know how, you know how most, I guess, I don't know, I don't know, cat fights or girl fights or whatever. They're usually like, there's some like kind of hair pulling and some kind of, we did none of that. We skipped all of that. And we just went straight to squaring up <laughs> and we were just like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and we just took turns. And then it got to a point where security was there and we ran and we took off and then uh, afterwards, the BIA officer was interviewing me because now I'm in trouble for mm. putting my hands on a person. And then, uh, and uh, mind you, I'm, I think I'm 16 years old. So I'm definitely just a baby, you know? <laughs> mm, yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, the officer was laughing. He wouldn't take the situation very serious. I'm mad because I'm in trouble. Cause I thought as long as I did it in self-defense, I'm good. But he's like, oh no, you know, you, you're in trouble too. And I was like, oh crap. But he was laughing at me and he was like, did you see her face? And I was like, no. He's like, well, take a peek. And so he, he's like, you really did a number. So then I kind of like peeked around the corner and I saw my, we ended up being like really good friends. My then, my then friend, uh, it, it, we're weird. But anyway, yeah. I peeked around the corner and she, she had a, she had a pretty big black eye and I was like, oh, well, crap. Uh, so anyway, that was all ancient history. Yeah. But then I got it together. And then I was like a good, uh, a good kid for a, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I almost got sent there to Riverside. Yeah. Because uh, I was going through a thing in high school and in high school, when I was a junior, you know, I, I started, well, when I was a sophomore going into a junior year, I started working out a lot, you know, to play football. I was like, man, I'm, you know, I'm get really good and, you know, try to get out of here and go to college or something. And then I got hurt. Like, man, I, well, I lost all this weight and then I got pretty strong. And then I got hurt like our second day of scrimmaging. And so I tore my MCL and I didn't know anything about like what an MCL was. You know, I was, I was 16 as well. You know, you don't know much about anything really. It was going to heal on its own, but it just sent me into like this, I don't know, like this, I don't care about anything anymore you know mm -hmm. depression kind of thing so i was like man i did all this work for like three months just to get hurt and so mm -hmm. it just sent me in this like weird like depressive state 
and I didn't know what depression was back then. You know, nobody ever like talked to me about it or anything. And uh, I was just like, want to be alone all the time. And I just, I don't know. And I didn't care about school or anything. Like I got to the point where I was like, I don't care. You're like, I should just drop mm-hmm. out. So then like, I started failing all my classes and uh, dang, man, my mom got pissed. Like she was pissed off and she was like, if you don't get your act together or something, I'm going to send you to Riverside. And I was like, do it. I don't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, I don't know. I, I think I called her out her bluff, so she never did it. And then in the back of my head, I was, I've was i heard stuff about Riverside, you know, like the fights and everything. So in the back of my head, I was like, oh, God, please don't send me. But I was like, whatever. I don't care. Send me. I think that the the young the young men of Riverside had it worse than the girls, like in the fighting and stuff. Uh, it was like just sort of a rite of passage type of thing. And uh and uh, but I'm, I'm you know it, it it I think it's a good school especially now like mm-hmm. for for those who are slipping through the cracks of the public system uh I I I really credit them for saving my education they but yeah it, you know I'm not gonna lie it was it was a it was a journey <laughs> yeah so uh but you said you were in New Mexico right Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I went down to uh, Institute of American Indian Arts. So that's where I went to college at. I met uh, his name's Charles Harris. He went to Riverside. Did, did you know him? Yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. Charles Harris. And yeah, yeah he's got a large Gosh family boy. and I know them. They're good people. Yeah. Good people. Yeah. And then uh, I met his cousin, Josh Boyd, and they were telling me about Riverside. So I was like, we all got really close over there in Santa Fe. And I remember um, they'd always tell me like Riverside stories. And I was like, man, I was like, just imagine if my mom would have sent me. I was like, we all would have met in high school, you know. But yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> it, it's a crazy, it's a crazy world. I think it, it creates these bonds for life. But even college does that too. That's why I always tell kids to go to college. Like, even if you don't know what you're going to do, even if you don't know what you want to be, just go because you might meet people who change your life. Mm -hmm. You just never know. Exactly. Yeah. I tell people that too now, because when I was like, when I was younger, my, my, uh, this guy I worked with, he was always telling me that too. He was like, just go, you know, just go and, have an experience and because before that i was you know i was working at our casino in pawnee and i was like man i'm just gonna be here forever because i didn't have like the best grades but it was enough to get by and then mm-hmm. i never took my sat but that i was like i'm not gonna score really well enough to probably even go so i wasn't expecting too much out of myself somehow it all worked out it was crazy you know and now, like you, you know, I tell people, like, just go, like, go to another state to a college or something, you know, like, go have these experiences, you know, before you get too old. And, you know, then you, you're going to be like, oh, well, I never got to do anything, never got to go anywhere. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, just try, try to go, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I do miss 
and you can always go home, right? That's yeah, the thing yeah, is sure. you can always go home mm-hmm. and you can always visit. And I do get really homesick mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, I miss, I know people in Oklahoma are like, why, you know, what's, <laughs> They don't, they just don't I get it. They're like, why? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, it, for me, it was more than, it was like the the land and the language and the food and the certain people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, certain, it was family. It was, it was, it was, it was things that I realized I, did, I took for granted mm-hmm. when I was living in Oklahoma, I was always surrounded by my language and my culture. And I was just like, you know, I I just kind of, it wasn't that I didn't care about it. I did, especially since my dad and my grandpa uh, really were, were very, they cared a lot about culture and they made sure that I um, had a grasp on it. And, uh, and I'm real thankful, but you know, when you're, you're a native kid in Oklahoma, you're just like trying to sort of be whatever society wants you to be. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't always mean in public school, I saw most of the natives trying to be something else. Like Mm -hmm. they were, there were a lot of uh, people that wanted to really embrace their Mexican heritage or their, um, you know, good old American heritage or something else. I didn't see too much pride in, in the savagery. (laughs) And, uh, and then when I went to Riverside, I seen lots of pride. Anywho, (laughs) what did you go, what did you go to school for? Uh, I went for, um, New media arts, moving images. Sadly, I didn't get to finish because I owed a lot of money. So, oh. Yeah. So after that, I um, I started working over there in New Mexico. And then I got into MMA. Uh, so. Oh, really? Yeah. I Well, like when I left school, I was like... <laughs> Well, I don't do it no more. But, but I, <laughs> I don't neither. But I, I, any excuse to flex, just, just give me an excuse to flex. That's all. And um, so when I got out of school, I was like, you know, I owed all this money, and then I was like, man, what do I do? You know, because I just didn't want to like work, and I still had like a bunch of energy, and then I felt, I still felt relatively like athletic because. And uh, I, we did, we did a lot of stuff. We did, we played stickball, you know, we had a basketball club. So we'd go out and we'd play basketball against like schools that wanted to play us, I guess. And so we was always like doing things and uh, I didn't really know too much about MMA. So I just kind of, I knew my brother did it. And he, when he moved back to Telequal, he uh, opened up a, a gym, an MMA gym. I don't know anything about it. It looks cool. So it looks like, you know, it can give me something to do. So I'll, I'll try it. So I Googled, you know, the best MMA gyms in Santa Fe or something like that. And I came across one and I went, so I did the intro and I was like, Oh, this is pretty cool. You know, it's really, you know, it's pretty neat. You know, it's new. And, uh, you know, I was really ignorant back then too. Uh, I was like, man, I'll just like, you know, cause I, I was still like strong from working out 
and I was still like fast or whatever. And so I went and I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just power everybody, power through everybody, you know, and it's not even like that with MMA. Like you gotta, you gotta be real technical about everything. And yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's all in like your hips. So it's a whenever, dance. Huh? It's a dance. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and this dude, man, just, well, every person there, because I had to roll with everybody in jujitsu. So every person there just used me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And like I've never been handled like that by any, like even the little like 155ers, man, they were just like so fast and so <laughs> and, like it was just something unreal. <laughs> so I just got used up and I was like, oh God. Like it sent me like I was like embarrassed and I just didn't want to do just it anymore. Just getting tossed around. Yeah, just getting tossed around, tossed on my back, just getting choked out, putting arm bars. <laughs> it was like a, it was a very new experience for me because I've never, like, nobody's ever done that to me. And, and then you pay them. And, and I then pay you them. pay them. I'm, yeah, I'm you're like, about... here's money, kick <laughs> my ass. <laughs> but everybody there, like, it was a really cool community, you know, in the MMA community or whatever, jujitsu community. Like, everybody's really cool, you know. So I felt like really, I don't know, like embarrassed and just didn't want to go back because I don't want to get handled like this anymore. Like, I don't want to <laughs> oh, get my man. ass kicked like this. So. I mean, Whatever. at least you jumped right in there because I I had a gym membership pre-COVID to uh, the UFC gym. Oh. And uh and I did I took all the classes in kickboxing but I would not do any of the jujitsu classes because I was I was afraid of getting you know tossed around uh <laughs> and I keep and I would and I refuse also to like actually um get in there and spar and stuff because I'm always like don't hurt the money maker yeah <laughs> and it's so dumb but this this space doesn't make that much money like <laughs> like maybe five dollars on YouTube but uh <laughs> I you're braver than me is what I'm saying uh you should give it a try jiu-jitsu is really cool I I I you know I've I thought about it because I know that like if if I were ever in a situation where I had to defend myself I'd be mm -hmm. great on my feet once you get me off my feet I'm gonna be like oh and then I'm gonna have to tap out and but luckily my husband um is a was a championship wrestler nice. in his youth and so mm -hmm. Uh, this sounds so dumb, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, he taught me some moves and, uh, <laughs> and I feel like I can, uh, can wrestle my way out of some things. <laughs> yeah. But it's an honorable sport. It's really, it's really, uh, takes a lot of discipline for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really like, once you get into it and then you start learning about what jujitsu is and you, <clears throat> you just keep going back and you keep getting better. And then you kind of, if you take a step back and you watch yourself progress of like, you know, I didn't want to do it at first, but now look at me, you know, and that's, that's kind of what I had to do, you know, but I ended up getting my blue belt and then I got hurt and I didn't tell nobody I got hurt. So I just kind of stopped going. I'm really injury prone. Like anything I try to do there, mm -hmm. I'm always going to get injured or something like it's, I'm just oh, like, man. 
you nailed it though. Yeah. That's life. Like, even if it's not an external injury, it's an internal injury, but at least you try and then you like grow somehow, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, <clears throat> I would say try it. Cause it's, it's the best way to control somebody. Like, let's say like they're trying to fight you or something. Then you could just take them down and just control them like without punching them or like right. hurting them in a, really horrible way i guess so that's like the good yeah, thing yeah uh, that's what i always i don't understand why cops don't do more mm-hmm. jiu moves because you can make someone submit without physically hurting them yeah you know there's all kinds of pressure points there's moves you can do without taking their life yeah. i've never understood that i'm like how do all these trained um, MMA fighters, how are they able to defend themselves so well without taking a life or seriously injuring their opponents? It's, it takes a lot of skill. So I think that all the police officers need some serious training in that way. And then they have to take it a step further and actually use the training because I think mm-hmm. they just get a little too pew, pew, like trigger happy and taser happy. Yep. And I think honestly that, I mean, this sounds awful, but I have opinions in this area because I lost uh, my brother due to police, uh, a police killing. And Mm -hmm. um, so, but I think that they just get a lot of money, but they're, and they're like, oh, these are our toys, like tasers and freaking tanks and riot gear. And I think they get all amped up to use it on society. And, uh, and it's, freaking ridiculous because you can just submit someone in a safe way but uh that is a conversation for another day I guess I don't know um how your viewers feel about police violence but I get super passionate about it I'm like just yeah teach them all MMA (laughs) for real yeah I remember I was having that same conversation with somebody and I I thought the same thing like I think that I think some of them go to seminars. Okay, so the guy I trained at in Santa Fe, or with in Santa Fe, he was a cop, and he went to jujitsu all the time. And so, but I never heard of him like being like those douchebag cops you hear of or anything like that. But I think it's just more of like you have your good ones and your bad ones. When your bad ones like do shit like they're doing, you know, like taking taking a life when it doesn't have to be taken, then what are those good cops, you know? doing to help prevent stuff like that you know that that was always like a question i had like so that makes the good cops just as bad because they're letting it they're allowing this to happen you know so yeah exactly because Mm -hmm. it's like uh you know um to use my brother's case in it as an example um my brother my he's my first cousin my you know and Indian way brother and uh we grew up very close and his name uh is Zachary Bearhills and uh you know there were four cops at, at, on the scene when he died and two of those cops were physically assaulting him and the other two were watching mm-hmm. just doing nothing i mean except exasperating and making it worse and uh in the end you know although they did a big 
show for the public about, you know, what can we learn from this experience and we're going to get better training and all this stuff. In the meantime, you know, my family was ripped apart. You can't replace, you know, it's not worth it. You learned a lesson while we mourn for a lifetime of someone very special. It it does. It's not worth it for those moments. And so they stood there, you know, and then the whole organization is implicated. The entire police department is implicated because these officers are still on the force um, and still out there on the streets and they took a life. And so it's like, um, I guess what, like you, like what you said, there are lots of good cops out there. I have family members um, that are police officers Mm -hmm. with, you know, the BIA. So I know there are good cops. It's, it is, it is the blind support of the bad cops and their actions that make it such a, a dangerous organization. So I always say, what's the difference between them and a big gang? You, yeah. they're, they're, it's like a such a blind brotherhood. It's such a blind, like, you're gonna go bully someone, take a life, and I'm still gonna have your back. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is that? That's a gang. Yeah. So I think we should just call it what it is. And there are people that are like, oh, you, you're, you know, they, at this point, no one can say anything to me about being, you know, too hard on the cops or whatever. Cause I'm like, no, you can't give me my brother's life back. That's gone forever. And so I have this perspective and, um, you know, and unfortunately native, native men in particular are some of the highest at risk people of being uh, killed by police. So it's something that we have to pay attention to. Unfortunately, we didn't create the problem. Yeah. We didn't create it. We're just living in it. But yeah. yeah. Sorry. That's what the thing about my whole comedian thing is like, I'm a comedian, but I always go there. I always go, <laughs> I always go to these really serious topics. And uh, oh, no, that's fine. Maybe that's why I started doing comedy. I was like, mm-hmm. I got to balance it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's fine. Like, uh, I, I like these uh, kind of conversations, you know, and yeah, it's crazy that, you know, because um, I, I had a I had a friend uh, in Pawnee and uh, dang, I forgot what happened. This was God, this was 2012, I think. But I think he was running from the cops. Anyways, he ran and uh, he ran into this old tore up nursing home that's in Pawnee. So he ran in there. I don't know what happened this this night. I don't know. I don't know what caused all this to happen. But he went in there and he was trying to hide. And then the cop was like, seen him. And he tried to take off again and he shot him. Mm-hmm. So that was like a real shocker too, you know, because it happened in our community. You know, he was, he was a really good guy, man. He was a really cool, uh, good friend. And it's crazy because the year before that, we we worked together. So it was really cool because... I knew him, but when we worked together, I really got to know him, you know, because he was maybe a few years older than me. So I was like, wow, that's crazy. You know, like I got to know him before, you know, he passed on. Yeah. And, you know, if you if you juxtapose that incident and incidents like that 
mm-hmm. with what just happened in Atlanta. Like I'll give you an example, you know, we don't know usually why, why people will run from the cops is obviously fear, yeah. right? Why else are you running? You're afraid. Mm-hmm. And, um, you're probably having a bad day, right? It's, mm-hmm. and, and I feel like people of color are not allowed to have a bad day. They will get shot and killed yeah. by a police. You know, you can't make that mistake in front of a police. Mm-hmm. And here was this okoy, this this white man and in Atlanta who had a bad day. And he went and killed eight innocent people and they brought him into custody like a human being. Right. Yeah. And they were, he had a bad day. And it was like, what? What what are we, we're not allowed to have a bad day, you know, we have to, we have to walk on eggshells in society, because if one, you know, one bad day, and you're deemed dangerous, or the way you look, it, it can mean the difference between life and death. So I do speak on these things a lot, I think, because I am aware that I am in a position of power. I'm in a position of uh, privilege, you know, it's just, um, I don't have that same experience where I have to worry about my life in front of a cop. It's, I'm, I'm light skinned and I do the whole, you know, like bat my eyelashes and, you know, just like, okay, officer. And I, I've, I've had nothing but good luck with them. And I know that that is 100% the way that I look to society, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, not everybody has that privilege. So I guess that's why I, I kind of make it my mission to to speak on stuff like that. Um, but yeah, um, I try, you know, it's just something I'm passionate about. But yeah, it, it, we're living in a society that has two different set of rules. You know, one rule for one group of people and another rule for the other. And I'm just like, well, let's just if this is the way it's going to be, then call it for what it is. We have we have a very racist society. And until we deal with it, we're going to keep having these issues. But I think we're getting there. There's a lot of good news happening. I don't know if you heard, but. They just uh, dropped this new show, the the first trailer for this new show called Rutherford Falls. And oh, yeah. it's going to be on the Peacock, yeah, Peacock streaming service. And it has the one of the largest uh, native writing staff in TV history. Mm-hmm. So there's so much good happening. And I know in Oklahoma also, they're filming a couple of projects. uh, And it's just such good representation that's coming out. So things are getting better. Yeah, we just have to, we have to call it out when it happens. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I watched that trailer for that show. And uh, well, people were sharing it. And I didn't know what it was. So I watched it. I was like, Oh, man, this is really cool. You know, got some natives in there, and I didn't know they had the. Would you say the largest uh, native writing staff? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, that show and Reservation Dogs that oh, is yeah, coming out too, those mm -hmm. two are the two largest writing staffs in TV history. So it's so awesome. I'm so excited. And, you know, maybe I'm biased because I know a lot of the writers and some of the talent and stuff, but, and it's, but it's still so exciting to see people winning like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. I'm glad that it's finally coming around too, you know. Heck yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm real Heck excited yeah. for reservation. Do dogs. you guys get like do you guys get do you see like the casting calls and stuff like that in Oklahoma? Do they have yeah. they had any? Yeah, uh let's see. They had reservation dogs, I remember that, but then the pandemic happened and all that. So or I think it was going on through the pandemic. And then they have the Killers of the Flower Moon. And they just now started casting for that, like maybe a month ago to kind of start, because I guess they're going to do a, a, a seven, a seven month uh, straight shoot. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm just wondering about all the people who are not from Oklahoma and how they're going to handle the storms and the humidity and let's see what else can terrorize them um the the uh i feel i i heard one time from a non-oki that we have like some pretty gnarly bugs i don't know yeah, yeah we, we could do. <laughs> we have all kind of spiders <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm thinking of the spiders and uh just everything but i think it's going to be the storms that probably scare scare people the most Yesterday, I was trying to, I had to go see my dad in Pawnee. So yesterday, I had to drive to Pawnee, and man, it was, it was hailing so hard. Like I was so, like I've been in hailstorms, but I've never driven in it. So all these giant, you know, pieces of hail were hitting my car. It just sounded like somebody was just winding up and throwing rocks at my car. It was insane. Yeah. <laughs> did it? Did it leave a dent? Did it leave dents? Uh, I, I looked on the top in the hood. I didn't see anything, but I was more worried about my uh, my windshield because man, it was blasting my windshield, and I thought, oh my god, I'm gonna it's gonna crack my windshield, and I have to pay for that with this stimulus check. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, uh, that's not that's not <laughs> that's so funny. All this stimulus checks because it's like. Um, I feel like everybody's definitely buying something. There's a stimulus buy, you know, um, myself included. I, I promised to buy myself one thing and then put the rest somewhere responsible. <laughs> Did you get anything for yourself? Um, we got me and my wife. We got a we got a TV for our room. It's a little 32 inch. It was like uh, 150 at Best Buy. It was on sale. So we bought that. It was a smart TV. So we bought that for our room. And then nice. uh, we bought that. And then what else? I don't think, I, I don't think we bought groceries, but it's we're a, trying then to... it just goes to like bills and yeah. stuff you need. And then it, it, it disappears like that. It's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, what I hate about money. You can get a big real. check and then watch it disappear. Yeah, for real. That, it's like the worst thing ever. It just, it just goes away like that. Like nothing, like no effort to, you know spend it and it's gone 
What did you buy? Yeah. Oh man, I bought a, a bike. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of those exercise bikes. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I maybe it was an impulse buy, you know. Uh-huh. Uh But I, I just felt like it. I don't know. <laughs> My friend has one, and. I saw that they have one and I was like, I want one. It was like when you're a kid and your friend has something and you're like, I'm going to get that too. So <laughs> then I felt kind of silly. I was like, that was definitely a, a stimmy buy. But, uh, you know, hey, I, I try to look at things as like a little investment. Um, I'm a very like energetic person, if you haven't realized that. <laughs> uh-huh. And so... I have to like burn my energy every day or else I will get in trouble like and get in trouble by get in trouble. I mean, like just fight with people on social media. So mm-hmm. I try not to do that and burn my energy instead. Yeah. Did you buy a, what's it called? A Peloton bike? Have you ever heard of those? Oh no, no. Yeah, I've heard of that one. I can't no, that would that would be too up there for me. No. Uh maybe if I ever have enough money that might be it, but nah, I did the 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 humble the the humble level. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The struggle level. I'm pretty oh, excited about that. Yeah. But you believe it or not, I I miss those storms in Oklahoma. I miss the hell storms and I just miss them cuz out here in New Mexico, you know, it's it's very dry and mm-hmm. um and it's beautiful. They've got their own storms and their own um landscape and all that, but but I do miss Oklahoma. Every time I drive across the border, I like stick my head out like a puppy and I just uh-huh. sniff. I just sniff the air because uh, I, I miss the way it smells. It's so weird, you know, <laughs> like if you just go outside and sniff Oklahoma, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to smell good in most yeah. places. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've done that, too, when, uh, you know, because I, I was away from here, dang, for about eight or nine years. Did so you come I, back I, all brand new? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Did you stop saying say, y'all? Or were you like, you guys? <laughs> they're like, where'd your accent go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I remember like um like smelling that, wanting to smell that Oklahoma air whenever I'd come back, you know. And but once you're mm-hmm. I've been here for about five years now, so I guess I'm used to it now. <laughs> so yeah now you're like yeah yeah okay <laughs> man if you could bottle it up and put it in a container Whoa. and send it to me i would sniff it <laughs> freaking oklahoma air i think it's like the cedar or something mm-hmm. something and it's the water it's probably all the water and um it just smells good to me but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah in new mexico i like the uh the smell of uh rain like after it rains, that's like probably my favorite thing in New Mexico. It just, yeah. I don't know what, I don't know. Like here, like about a couple of days ago, I did smell that for like a little bit, but then like, I don't know, it, it mixes with the lake, I guess. So you kind of get this fishy smell. So yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's I'm really over here missing that fishy smell. <laughs> uh, uh, I think out here it's like juniper. I think that's like what what I smell after it rains in New Mexico. It's like it's juniper and it's it's all these other there's no fishy smells. <laughs> yeah. I'll take I'll take either. So <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, cool. Uh, what, what do what do you um I, I always turn these interviews around and start interviewing the host by the way <laughs> oh, that's fine that's fine <laughs> um, what do you uh what are your goals what do you want to do with uh with your media background even though you know of course you um you didn't finish your degree but you still have training so what do you what do you want to do with that uh, I like editing like I really, when I, when I went to school, cause I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I, I went and well, the only reason I went is because my aunt was like, you should try to go there. You know, you should try to go and you know, I, you could, you, you could possibly get in. And I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, I, I'll probably stick around here. So I really, back then I was into music. Like I loved hip hop music. I still like it, but I loved hip hop music. So I wanted to make beats. Like I wanted to be a producer and I love Timbaland. I love DJ tube, the Neptunes. I liked all these producers that were making all these like hits back then. And I was like, man, I want to do that. So anyway, she goes, yeah, you know, I has that, you know, they have music production. And I was like, Oh, cool. So that's what really kind of drove me to go out there. And then when I got out there, they didn't even have it. <laughs> <laughs> Liars. Just yeah. Kidding. So I was like, dang it. So, you know, what do I do now? So I wasn't that good at drawing. Like I, I did it a lot, but then I quit drawing. And then my advisor was like, well, you know, if you're into like movies and stuff, why not give new media moving images a try? I was like, okay, yeah, let's, you know, try it. Because they had museum studies, they had art, they had writing, and they had new media, which is very new at that time. So I got into that. And then I remember like we were in an editing class and they gave us all this footage to try to put together. And then we were on final cut. And I just remember like falling in love with editing because I could just block everybody out. And it was just me on the computer going through all these, you know, different clips and putting them together and just trying to make a story out of whatever they gave us. So that's what I really wanted to do was editing. So I thought about, I mean, like we have like a we had a short film contest maybe a year ago and me and my friend, did, uh, you know, we got into that. So I made this little one minute film called Smudge. And it's like a scary short film or whatever. So I did it on my phone because that was a, that was one of the rules you had to do it on. You had to um, film it on your phone and then edit on your phone and then you can't go and you can't use your computer or whatever. So I did all that and I was like, man, this is really like. I'm in love again. So, yeah. <laughs> so but so, nice. I mean, I'm trying to like, you know, do a little bit of writing, you know, like writing like out stories and try to think of like how I could probably film that maybe and, you know, and then edit it and work on, you know, like, I mean, I'm not like diving into it because now, you know, I'm doing this podcast. So it the podcast is kind of taken up, you know, more of the time. And I mean, with this though, 
I I do get to edit these episodes. So right back again, like I'm I'm back to doing what I like to do is editing. So so I mean like it, it works out, you know. So I think the goal is to stick to this, which is you know, it's it's uh I've had this idea for a while to do a podcast, finally doing it. And uh yeah, finally doing it, you know, got about six episodes out and just getting over like because at first I was like, man, this is gonna be stupid. Like I'm gonna probably sound really stupid most of the most of the time because <laughs> I don't know, I just have this like weird thing about myself where people are just gonna hate it or hate me or find me annoying or something, you know. So I don't know. I just had to get over that. And just say, you know, fuck it and do it. So that's where it kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I feel like I'm getting better. If you go, if you watch, if you listen to my first episode, it was really like, I don't know. I, I, I just felt like I was like being shy, but I was trying to come out of my shell. And so yeah. now, yeah. So now it's like, I'm finding it easier to talk to people and uh, just, just have a conversation, you know, just show them, you know, who I am and get to know you so uh, you know it's just a it's a really cool experience you just have to I just had to get over the fact of that and then being recorded you know so yeah yeah I I feel you because I still to this day cannot stand uh when I listen to my own voice Mm -hmm. or even sometimes see pictures videos all that stuff. I just like nitpick at myself mm-hmm. and, and it's a whole, I just have to like, uh, like you said, kind of get over it and just do it. And, um, and then I also realized that, you know, there are a lot of young people that want to get into these type of professions and they need, they need to see it. They need mm-hmm. to see it being done you know, and, and I always say, even if I do it in a cheap way, even if I'm the cheapest comedian out there, maybe I'll inspire someone <laughs> to do better and be like, I could do, she's cheap. Let me do, I could tell better jokes than that. Cause I've had a lot of people tell me that they're like, oh, really? <laughs> or they'll be like, Oh, I could do that. And then I'm like, do it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because you know, I never set out to be the best of anything. I just needed a safe place to talk shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Yeah. Hopefully yeah, if we you can have do anything a... other, any other questions, let me know. I can definitely answer some. Oh, um, well, real quick. Uh, you just want to give a rundown of, you know, um, how you started your uh, career as a comedian at first? Yeah. I went to school at Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado, and there was an open mic night, and my friend was hosting the open mic night, and I was like, I want to do some stand-up comedy. He was like, just do it, and I was afraid I was going to have a heart attack, Mm -hmm. because I do have a really bad stage fright. Uh, it's, It's bad. And, and, and people probably don't believe me, but it is bad. Like I get all just anxious and I, my heart starts beating and I'm actually really, really shy. 
And so I had to like force myself to do it. And it was my way of getting over that shyness. So I, uh, he said, it's three minutes out of your whole life. So what, it, what is that going to do? Right. So I, I wrote a whole bunch of jokes and I tested on my roommates and they were like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I just went on stage and I just started, you know, boom, 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 boom. And pretty soon I lost track of time. It was like a time warp. Like my mouth just started going and pretty soon almost 20 minutes had passed and I didn't even realize it. So I got off stage and it was just like a big applause. And I literally just felt like such a natural high, such a a good feeling that I was like, this, I can do this. This is me. And um, I think I was 20 or 19. I think I was 19 years old. No, no, no. I was 20. And um, I just, felt so good. And I never, I never felt anything in my life that made me feel that good, uh, naturally, you know? (laughs) And so, um, I decided just to keep chasing it and chasing it. Um, of course life hit, I had to finish my degree. I got a degree in English communications and American Indian studies. Um, and then I had my first child when I was 21 and all my, you know, life went into supporting him. So comedy took the back burner for a few years. And then I landed myself a bank job. I was working at a bank. I also worked at a casino before that and, uh, and worked in, actually worked at the, uh, in Tahlequah at the Katula Casino oh, for really? a while. And <laughs> nice. yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I was doing the casino thing and then I worked at a bank and I just got so bored with people coming in and they're like, I got a lot of money. Help me, you know, help me with my money. And at the time I was living in a trailer and I was just really, really impoverished. And I was like, you know, there's gotta be more to life than just chasing the nine to five and chasing living paycheck to paycheck. So I, uh, I was also like five, six months pregnant with my second child and I just quit my job. And, uh, before that though, I met James and Ernie. I don't know if you know who they are, but they're a, a, a comedy duo mm-hmm. and, uh, they are wonderfully talented and they really welcomed me and into comedy and Ernest David Sosi is the one who invited me to open for for him and and their group which was called 49 laughs comedy so he was like you know come through and let's let's see what you got and I went up there and I did I did the best I could and uh, I just, it was really determined to keep doing it and keep getting better because I knew I wasn't the greatest. I knew I wasn't that good. Um, I was still really green, but I knew that if I kept trying and kept trying that I would get better and better. And sure enough, I just, I hit it all the time. Like every 
stage, every open mic, every time I got invited to a show, I was like, yes. And I didn't care about money or I was just like, just give me a chance. And I had some really great mentors with 49 laughs. And uh, I have to give them a shout out that to James Jones, Ernest David Sosi, Tatanka Means, and Pax Harvey. And they are my brothers of comedy for life. And they really just um, supported me. So I I feel very blessed in my beginning because I didn't didn't face any type of um, discrimination. It was just like, they were, I think, just so happy to see a sort of a, a native sister with a big mouth and, and get out there and, and, and focus and study the craft of comedy. So I became obsessed with it and I still am. Like, I still won't watch anything if it's not funny. I'm like, Breaking Bad? No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but I just... I just love comedy so much. It makes me so happy. And um, yeah, it's been a journey. I started in, I think, 2010 was my professional year. That was my debut of like when I first started receiving money for comedy. And, wow. uh, and I was able to sustain myself for a long time. And, and then in 2014, I started my own group called Ladies of Native Comedy. And that group, I am so proud of because we just, we were just an experiment, just like, let's see if America is ready for Native women talking crap. And a lot of, a lot of Native communities welcomed us with open arms and, and it was such a refreshing thing and we were we did not play it safe I mean our shows were rated R and um we were we were not family friendly shows because we were the way we looked at it is like you know we we kind of been have silenced for so long and you know we we should have a space where we feel comfortable to talk about whatever we need to and in a funny way Mm-hmm. And uh, so we got booked at a lot of casinos and we traveled to Canada and we went to um, we went way out in the middle of the ocean to a little island off of in Alaska and we went to Florida and we went all over the country and it was such a beautiful experience and I felt so literally just living my dreams and um, you know, we still weren't making tons of money because I always say we were, we were, we were well booked because we were well priced. Mm. Uh, (laughs) And um, it was, it was a good experience. And then of course, in the the pan, let's see, in 2018, I started going off by myself because all those years I didn't feel comfortable doing my own show because I, I was, I was very insecure. I needed to hide behind people. I was like, he, these are the stars of the show. And I'm just, I'm just a dork in the background. And then, um, but then I was like, you know, um, I have to get over this and I need to come out of my shell and I need to believe in myself. And 
So I started stepping up and booking my own solo shows and going out by myself. Then I started doing non-native gigs, you know, just road comic stuff, uh, you know, performing in, in um, like Laughlin, Nevada. That's sort of like, that's, that place is the, uh, like the boot camp for comedy because it's, it's rough. It's a hard place to perform. Uh, shout out to Laughlin, Nevada, <laughs> and just becoming a road comic and performing for everybody for middle America, I guess, and trying to see that I'm more than just a native comic, or I'm more than just a native woman comic, I am a human, a human comic, and I can reach really far across, uh, across the world, I guess. And that was, and I was doing really good with that. And then the pandemic happened and then I got all my gigs canceled and I lost all my income. And I just was like back at square one with four kids and a wonderful partner, man, dude, husband, and, and, uh, I, you know, just back at square one. Yeah. yeah, on EBT and uh, living that living that broke life. But, you know, it's it's good. It, it is good because. Uh, well, for one, I'm alive. <laughs> I caught COVID. Oh, I you? caught COVID. Yeah. And that was no fun. It took me down, put me on my ass for a few weeks and uh, it was rough. But but like now it's. I just appreciate everything. I'm really appreciative. Not that I didn't appreciate it before. I definitely appreciated it, but I just feel like, you know, there's so much we can't control in life and you just got to roll with it. And if stand-up comedy is in my past, then I'll try to create something else for my future. So that's why right now I've just been focusing on screenwriting because I feel like, story is really powerful and it's just a lot of fun too so right now i'm working on a comedy horror oh nice yeah Yeah, it's exciting what's the name of it just kidding (laughs) 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 Uh, it might change that's why i I might change the name i don't know uh but it's it's exciting and i i want to actually have it made but i don't know how to do all that. Like, I'm, I'm not good at networking. I just don't, I'm just like, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I have ideas, but I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we can make it work. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Somehow I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> Someone hit up Adrian to help her with her screen, her screenplay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> AKA give me money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's really what it's about, right? <laughs> uh, hand over the money. No, I'm just kidding. Give me the money and nobody gets hurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> um, well, during the pandemic, you know, have you uh well you've been writing that, but also have you been like writing uh for new comedy? Like once, once everything settles down, you know, and you start to go out to do, um, 
being a yeah. comedian again, you know. I've been doing some virtual shows and that forces me to write new comedy. So I've been experimenting with different joke styles and stuff because it's not stand up, you know, it's just kind of like this where you're just talking and you hope that you're funny mm-hmm. and you don't know because you don't have an audience like in your face, like stand up where they're like, ha ha ha. They, they know, right. You know, right away if it works. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it's virtual, I'm not sure. I'm just like, I think it's funny, but I'm not sure. So, so I, it could be really whack and no one would tell me to my face. So that's, that's the awful part. Except maybe my kids, they yeah. would tell me. <laughs> They'd be like, boo. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, yeah, I've been writing a lot of uh, comedy. I try to just put jokes out there too, just like, on Twitter, I try to try to be funny on there sometimes and just keep it going. I have a challenge for myself to write like one new joke per day. Um, mm-hmm. And as long as I'm writing something per day, I'm, I'm good. All kind of people that's in there or like a was it one person or. <laughs> uh, so the shows that I have been doing have been more than one person uh-huh. and they have been um usually private events or like a fundraiser or uh yeah most mostly stuff like that people reach out to me and ask me if i'll if i'll do a a short set Uh, i only feel confident doing 30 minutes or less i feel like anytime i talk for longer than that i feel like people are going to sleep or something (laughs) (laughs) oh No, you're very um like uh you're very you're still entertaining, you know, and you still have like a lot of energy, you know, and that's something like I'm still trying to learn too, is to have a lot of energy during this podcast because I feel like that too. I feel like you know, people listening to me talk, it's like, oh, he's so like monotone. I'm just gonna fall asleep to his voice. So you know, I do like it when people have like energy. And it bounces off of me. So I feel like, you know, I'm giving the same energy too. So it's yeah. always good, you know, it's always really good. Um, I think I have like one, like probably cool question. I don't know if anybody's asked you, but uh, is there like a, a joke that you've written where you were like, maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, like tell this yeah. joke, but you have, or maybe yeah. you maybe you didn't tell it (laughs) maybe and then some stuff is like you know there's this whole thing in comedy about like know your audience right like some stuff it's like okay I I might say this in front of my friends and that's okay but Mm -hmm. in front of the whole wide world no not in today's times because you know it's just people are just looking for reasons to 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 cancel people and I keep saying I'm probably gonna get canceled someday because I do say things that are offensive yeah you know yeah it's like well I don't know that's what comedians do we we hold a mirror up to society we say this is society (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's a crazy time we're living in with that cancel culture yeah I think the same thing. I think there's like, it got hijacked. Like it used to be a good thing. Like 
yeah, this, you know, like cancel the rapist and cancel, you know, the pedophiles and cancel, but then people hijacked it and they just started like everybody just boom, boom, boom. And they started casually throwing around the word pedophile. Like, oh, you're a pedo, you're a pedo, you're a pedo. And I was like, you can't do that because you're cheapening a very serious word, you know? And it's just like, you can't do that. You have to, you have to actually have evidence and before you go and ruin someone's life, like, and uh, it was just crazy. And I was like, I don't know about society anymore where you're just like, you, 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 like everybody, and you're a rapist, and you're a rapist, and you're a rapist. And like, I'm not saying that, that, that those things aren't out there. They are 100%. We live in a rape culture. But what I'm saying is that with everybody throwing it around so casually, like it's a slur, you know, just casually calling everybody they don't like a rapist. You, what you're doing is you're silencing the real victims. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, you're making it harder for the people who have really been hurt to actually have a voice because you're make you're making that conversation. You're just drowning it out with crap. So yeah. I, that's when I was like, this culture, I don't know. I don't know what's happening anymore because you can't casually throw things around like that. You need to, you know, there needs to be some standard here. So now I'm like, with the whole cancel culture, I feel like there should be consequences for people who deliberately try to ruin people's lives because they don't like them and they have no, like... I don't want to say evidence because we could go round and round about what that is, but like <clears throat> you need to be credible. You need to have a credible source. Like it used to be that you, you actually, I don't know, like you thought before you spoke, right? You thought before you accused somebody uh, and, and you really, you, you, you are respectful of like victims and stuff like that. And now people have no respect for anybody's privacy and anybody's stories. They're just one, running amok. So mm. I'm not, I used to think that people who didn't like cancel culture were just like <clears throat> mostly white men <laughs> mm -hmm. that were like afraid of being canceled. But now I see that like, it, it, it's everybody. It's like, um, you know, you got to watch you got to watch your back on the internet, you know? And I mean, on one hand, I think it's, it's good that we all take a look at ourselves and our words and what we're doing and, and, and pay attention. Mm -hmm. But at the, in the other way, it's like, well, we, we, we're, we're cheapening these words. We're cheapening the conversations and we're, we're drowning out the real victims yeah. you know so that's my whole soapbox about cancel culture <laughs> yeah yeah I, <clears throat> I didn't think of that you know um because i don't like it was i don't know it, it's getting too much now you know with the whole cancel culture but what you bring up about the pedo and the race 
or not the rape, but the uh, rapist. Mm-hmm. You know, the, like I agree with that. Yeah, it is. You know, those are very serious, you know, issues that, you know, should be dealt with. But yeah, like once you're throwing those words around to everybody, then it's just kind of like, well, like, I don't know, maybe it just takes away from, you know, yeah, those victims, you know, that you're talking about. So, you know, it's a crazy, it's, it's really crazy, you know, and to have that different or to think about what you're saying, you know, it brings it to my mind, you know, so now I'm thinking like, oh, wow, you know, there's more to this cancel culture now, you know, and mm-hmm. look at the words they're shouting out, you know, the different people and trying to cancel them and everything. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have, I have a little bit of a solution, I guess. Uh-huh. And this is what I, I, because I have a degree in mass media. So I studied journalism and mm-hmm. When I was studying journalism, I took a lot of classics, a lot of classes on ethics, mm-hmm. right? How are you an ethical journalist, right? How do you relay information to society in an ethical way? Well, one, you always have to get all sides of the stories. You know, like if you have a controversial issue, I was trained that you go get the opposition, you go get the, like, you get all the sides to the story. You know, you don't just get one side of the story, you get all the sides of the story because Mm -hmm. you have to give everybody a fair chance to weigh in, right? And that's ethical journalism. And then another thing I was taught was to question the source. Always question the source because the source usually has an agenda, has a personal investment, and they're going to say things, you know, to further their agenda, right? Yeah. And so you always have to question the credibility of the source. And that's where people, when they go online and they're reading these stories about this person being, you know, racist or this person being, you have to, of course, we live in a time when we want to believe the victims right away, right? Like, and, and I do, I always listen to the victim first. Mm -hmm. always. I always take them very serious, right? But then I also have to question, you know, their credibility. Just like, is this person a a credible person to believe, right? Because we all have someone in our town that runs around spreading rumors, right? Is that the person that you want being your PR person, right? Like the the one who just like spreads all the rumors. Is that the one you want to quote in the newspaper? Probably not. Like that person has lost credibility, you know? Uh, So that's why I always tell, even with my own family, when they call me up and they're like, oh, well, I heard. And I go, who's your source? (laughs) You know, because it's like, what, what do they want? 
And nine out of 10 times, if you really get to digging, you're going to find that that source has a political agenda. Like they, you know, they, there's, there's, they have a motive, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying, I'm saying that nine out of 10 times for the people who just make shit up. I'm not talking about the real, real victims, real, real victims, most of the time. And this is sad, but most of the time they're silent. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the loudest people that you kind of have to, yeah, question their motives. Yeah. And that's just, that's kind of what my solution for everybody on the internet is uh, really question where where your source is coming from what do they want what do they gain in seeing this person fall right Mm -hmm. uh and sometimes it's 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 uh you know i've seen it especially in tribal politics it's like it's the brutalist um in tribal politics and i feel like donald trump was basically a big version of tribal politics he was like you're stupid and i don't like your face and everybody was like, "Ooh, you know, and it was just, it became a big old back and forth. And it's like, I can't take this serious. I'm too old for this. I'm 35. I can't play these games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tribal politics. Don't get me started on that. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <No. laughs> that's the roughest one, man. It, it's hardcore. It's <laughs> So I just, I don't even participate. I I don't even participate anymore. I just vote. I vote. Mm -hmm. And then it's always the elders fighting too. You notice that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fighting over nothing. It's the elders. (laughs) Like calm down elders. You're going to get your blood pressure all worked up. Um, So this is awesome. I love what you got here. You know, you got a cool, uh, a cool setup in, I encourage you to definitely keep keep trucking along and then I encourage all the listeners to keep supporting so keep supporting native artists hell yeah yeah thank you Adrian um real quick also uh you know thank you for coming on the show and we'll have to do it again you know but I know you're super busy and everything but uh you're welcome back and you're welcome back on the show anytime you know, if you're ever in Oklahoma, you know, if you want to do it again, let me know. Uh, I might be out Indian market. Maybe we can do it in person if everything, you know, everything's safe, you know, at first. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah, this was one. really Thank fun. You. This, yeah, was, for sure. this was really fun and cool. And, you know, getting to know you and finally meeting you, you know, virtually. But, you know, I'm sure we'll meet in person at some time. Uh, did you want to? shout out your um, anybody or your social media, how to follow you, how to keep up with you. Yeah. Thank you for that, Russell. Uh, I, you, everyone can follow me on Twitter at Adrian comedy on Instagram at Adrian Chalopa. And uh, I don't really like Facebook no mo, but I'm on there too. And uh, you know, just uh, blessings to everybody. Thank you. You know, keep, keep putting out that good energy and it will come back to you. Aho. Nice. We heard that from Adrian and, um, you know, uh, yeah, once again, thank you for coming on. I can't thank you enough. (laughs) 
And uh, if you're not following Oki Podcast on Instagram, go ahead and follow it. I have a Facebook page as well. The podcast is available on all platforms, so there's no reason to not listen to it. And um, yeah, I uh, hope everybody's enjoying the show and shout out to the listeners. Um, thank you for listening. And uh, I guess until next time, everybody, peace. <laughs>